Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hello and welcome back. I'm Andy Barons, joined as usual by Scott Pianowski, multi-sport fantasy star. Uh, Welcome to the Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast presented by planters satisfying your snack cravings for over a hundred years the thing that satisfied me most today is i i went and early voted feel pretty good about it everybody should do it it's a basic civic duty i feel like i feel like i picked some winners too scott i feel like if it were like a 50 candidate parlay i might have i might have actually nailed it right so you submitted at the bet mgm probably yeah <laughs> that's right that's right i went with all of minty Betts's uh, recommendations feeling great about that judge's slate yeah, I know you're not wearing the Bears garb today. I, I guess it's oh, old hat oh, after oh, another win. Or am oh, I not? here it comes. Am I not? Okay. Am I not? I got the I got the shuffle shirt out today. Oh, he's going 85. Okay. Like I'm thinking, what's he got? The peanut Tillman? What's he got? The uh, the Jay Cutler? No, no, no. He's going. <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll break out the Cuddy for you next week. Sure. Right. Uh, who, who was most like you on that team? Steve Fuller, probably. Uh, it's a good question. Young Jeff Fisher was on that team. I like to I like to think that my personal style and my my worldview is very much like a young Jeff Fisher. Just remember, the Patriots were ahead three nothing in that Super Bowl. Uh, <laughs> it's, I, it's a little foggy after that, but um, you know, if not for the Lynn Dawson injury, history could have been totally different. By the way, uh, props to the to the Bears. You know, the, the crowd that loves to say running backs don't matter. You know, you just plug in Mike Davis. He's he's Christian McCaffrey, the Bears defense, man. They're like, not, not on our watch. You know, Mike Davis isn't going off against us. I, uh, again, I don't know what to make of the, I mean, they're five and one, right? Like five, you, you're, you're blessed to be five and one in the NFL for sure. And uh, to have a winning team of any sort in 2020 feels okay. But this was another case where the, the opponent had a final drive that, could have, you know, that, <laughs> that could have toppled the Bears like everything comes down to a final drive. Yet here they are, five and one, comfortably tied with, uh, well, uh, Green Bay actually just lost to Tampa Bay, who the Bears had previously beaten. So I would like to think that in anybody's power rankings, the Bears surge ahead of the Packers, right? Transitive property or something. You know, what's kind of funny is that you know, Chicago's five and one. Baltimore is uh, has only lost that one game. Pittsburgh is is undefeated. And there isn't as much fantasy juice as you might think in some of these cities. I mean, the oh. only player I really feel great about starting on the Bears is Allen Robinson. You played Montgomery for volume. Baltimore, a name brand team with a sitting MVP. Uh, it doesn't seem like a lot of fantasy juice on that roster right now. And they had their bye week. And, and Roethlisberger has turned into kind of a game manager, even though Chase Claypool is smashing everything. He's kind of their goal line back now, right? I mean, they right. get you near know, the goal line. It's Claypool time. But 
Roethlisberger hasn't been that fun of an own. And, you know, Tampa Bay's on a nice run right now. That's been sparked by defense. So I feel like, look, every season's strange and weird. I, I'm not going to play that card. But I feel like we're in some unusual situations where I'm not sure what offenses I'm supposed to be bankrolling because some of you know, <laughs> I didn't expect much of the Bears, but I thought the Ravens would be fun. I thought Pittsburgh with a healthy Roethlisberger maybe would be a little bit more interesting. You know, Tampa Bay, you know, Brady's just kind of an ancillary piece right now. Their receivers aren't doing much. So I, I feel like I'm I'm tiptoeing through the, the minefield every week. You know, you know what's funny about Baltimore? And I've had this conversation a couple of different ways with, uh, with Liz Loza. They are, like, in the aggregate, they're fun. They're like the number three rushing offense in the NFL. They're 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 running for 160 plus yards a game. And somehow that rushing offense has not generated a top 35 fantasy back, which is just like I don't I don't know if I can think of uh, an offense in the fantasy era that has been so great collectively and so almost utterly useless uh, uh, for fantasy purposes. Right. Like. Obviously, Lamar is is someone that even Lamar, you can't really fully bank on this year. People are complaining to me on Twitter about Lamar week in and week out. Mark Andrews has uh, had some notable dud. like they just don't, you know, they, it should be great when you look at the, the collective stats of that team. You should like you look at that thing and you and if you didn't know anything else about it, you'd say, well, this is kind of a fantasy machine. I wonder I wonder which running back is absolutely atop the ranks and a, and a lock it in starter every week. And it turns out no one like Mark Ingram is maybe a drop. Yeah, it's kind of like three is the new two. In a previous incarnation of fantasy football, the dreaded commit backfield by committee, we run away from that. Now yeah. we can get to a backfield where only two guys touch the ball. We feel pretty good about that. <laughs> and it's the teams that use three or more guys, like like the Patriots, like the Ravens, where it's just the pie is split up too many ways. And of course, it hurts with both those teams. Their quarterback is the player most likely to score a rushing touchdown. But yep. you know, so so often I find myself in fantasy saying, "Oh, there was an injury in, in XYZ City." Now they're down to two playable running backs. Now I can go in there with some modicum of confidence where I couldn't do that when there were three or more guys splitting up the carries. Yeah, I actually find myself feeling perfectly fine about Clyde Edwards-Alaire right now because he only has to deal with Le'Veon Bell. He doesn't have to deal with Le'Veon Bell and like one or two other dudes. Yeah, Latavius Murray was, uh, I thought, a reasonable start before New Orleans hit their bye week. Um, So, yeah, that's kind of the, the rules. The landscape has changed. More striation of the backfields and also isn't it kind of funny how the young receivers have hit the ground running and it's the younger running backs who have kind of hit the stumbling blocks where it was yeah. you know, 10 five or ten years ago that that's theme was totally 180 degrees in the other direction and and it's happening even this year in 2020 without a preseason without a normal run-up to the regular season no otas no no typical training camp like it's it's cr- absolutely crazy what uh, justin jefferson and others are doing you guys are all here obviously because we run down all of the priority pickups for the week ahead on this podcast that is what we're going to do today we have another week coming up with uh four teams on by this time we've got indy miami minnesota baltimore all on by had a handful of injuries this week to mark ingram probably nothing serious there miles sanders seems like a one or two week injury they've got a thursday night game no way he can make it back for that zach Ertz going to be down for perhaps three or four weeks so we've got some injuries to deal with we've got bye weeks to deal with And we've got a bunch of names for you to consider. I'm going to start with the running back position, Scott. But before we get into that exactly, before we start like throwing out names and and talking about priorities here, I want to ask you, because a theme is going to come up here where I keep talking about various chargers. (laughs) And I couldn't help but notice this when I was when I was writing the pickups piece. There were a whole bunch of chargers who really popped 
in, uh, you know, in, in week five, but they were going into their buy. Nobody picked them up. So a bunch of guys that in a normal week, I would have said, well, okay, there's going to be this huge surge in roster percentage. They're going to go from like 40% to 65, 70%. Didn't really happen. They went from 40% to like 44 or 45%, right? So, and this is one of those things that I know I get into as a fantasy manager. You know, you, you start looking at your rosters for the week ahead. You've got the, you get the big red warning about bye weeks and you start just purely managing to the buy and maybe not thinking so much about the long, you know, long-term implications about adding a guy, spending your fab resources, all that. So like, I don't know, how do you balance that? I'm sure it's contextual. I'm sure, I'm sure it's, you know, just about how your team is sitting in a league at any one time, but how do you manage the sort of immediate need versus what is actually going to help me win a championship? Because some of these chargers that are still out there available to be picked up, I'm, it blows me away. So often it's going to be tied to where you are in the standings, right? I mean, the teams that are five and zero or four and one had the benefit of thinking long term, where if you yeah. were off to a 5 one four start, even two and three, you might have viewed this week as a must win game. Sometimes you can look at your opponent, right? If your opponent is riddled with injuries and buys, maybe they're kind of flat. Maybe they view this week as a game they're not going to take that seriously. They've already kind of written it off as a loss. They don't want to drop certain guys. Maybe you'll be able to take a zero at tight end, or you'll be able to hold a kicker through a bye week, which you normally wouldn't do. But you know that's a question people have to ask this week. You know, am I going to hold Justin Tucker through his bye week? You know, normally that would yeah. be crazy. Even Blankenship for the Colts has been a pretty good kicker. Some of these defenses, you know, the Colts have one of the best Baltimore and the Colts have two of the best defenses in football. Would you hold them through a bye week, or can you be a week early to who's playing the Jets? I'm, I'm doing a lot of that. You know, who's playing the Jets? Yeah. Can I be a week or two early to that? But it, it's contextual. The the this year more than any other year is a couple of times I've seen some of my opponents be so ravaged by the tenor of 2020 that they, they're not putting out a full lineup and it's enabled me to maybe cut some corners with my today. I usually like I'm a play for today guy. Let's get the win today. I'll figure out what I'm going to do next week. But again, it's really beholden to your context, your team situation, your one last record, and oftentimes your opponent's roster that week. Yeah, I think that's all. I think that's all well, well put. I agree with fundamentally all of that. So I want to, um, I want to talk about Justin Jackson, I think separately from the other running backs that we're going to get into, because a lot of the other running back names are sort of plug them in for a week or, you know, a couple of exceptions here, but a lot of them are guys that are probably going to have some week seven value and may not have a whole lot of value beyond that. So I want to talk about Justin Jackson separately with the chargers. And this is something that we'd previewed, uh, I think a couple of weeks ago, Josh Kelly has had some ball security issues. So they go into the Monday night game. We didn't exactly know what the distribution of touches was going to be. It turns out Justin Jackson outsnapped Kelly by a ton. I think it was 42 to 25. He outtouched him 20 to 12, I want to say. And he outgained him by a pretty substantial margin, almost 60 yards. Justin Jackson now appears to be largely in control of that backfield. Austin Eckler not coming back for a few weeks. The, the roster percentages of these players is still like nothing moved. No, nothing moved on either guy. Justin Jackson is still at 45%. Josh Kelly is at 55%, which just absolutely makes no sense to me. And I, I hope that Justin Jackson is pretty much everybody's priority at the running back position going forward because now he's out of his buy. Now there's like now we got no worries ahead until Eckler comes back. Yeah, he's out of his buy. All we've seen since Herbert took over is an offense that moves the ball, that gets it to scoring position. They've been in a lot of high-scoring games, and Jackson got the majority of, of whatever you want to go by. It's snaps, touches, opportunities. Uh, he was getting the majority of them over Kelly the last time we saw these guys on Monday night, and Jacksonville 
is a defense that can't really do anything right right now. They just pushed DeAndre Swift into fantasy relevance after <laughs> a really slow, you know, he had the drop in week one. And yeah. why are the Lions playing Adrian Peterson? Peterson did get the early touchdown in that game, but it looked like a coming out party for Swift. And maybe this will be a full coming out for Jackson. I mean, he's been in the league for a few years, so he's somebody we're a little bit familiar with. But I think the Chargers can be a plus offense. And Herbert hasn't had any growing pains. I mean, he hasn't had a win yet, but it's because of who they've played. He's played Patrick Mahomes. He's played Drew Brees. He's, he was in a high-scoring game against Brady. So I see nothing wrong with this offense. And Jacksonville's a really good, if you want to think shorter term, Jacksonville's a really good matchup here. You want to think longer term, there's going to be some high-scoring games, I think, on the horizon for the Chargers. And Jackson should be the heavier rostered guy of these two, of him and Kelly. I, I don't understand that either. I think Jackson right now probably has about 70 to 75% of the market share likely yeah. for him in week seven. That just seems crazy to me. Like Josh Kelly, you know, he's got a role. They like him in short yardage. We've we've seen some nice moments from him as a receiver so far this season. He had the the 35, the nifty 35 yard game a couple gain a couple of weeks ago. But there's no universe in which right now he should be rostered in more leagues than Justin Jackson. And that is crazy to me. Jacksonville, as you mentioned, they allow the the fifth most rushing yards per game over four and a half yards per carry. So it's a really friendly spot for Jackson. I feel like I'm probably going to rank him. I don't know, top 16, top 18 going into uh, going into week seven. So I consider him kind of separate and apart from the rest of the guys that we're going to talk about. And now we're just going to throw out a whole bunch of names and you can prioritize them for us. Old friend Boston Scott might have a week or two of relevance with Miles Sanders dealing with a knee issue. I feel like we should talk about J.D. McKissick a little bit with the Washington football team because he has a, a almost a growing role in that offense. He's seen about 50% of the snaps now pretty regularly in a pretty substantial receiving role as well. Jamichael Hasty of the Niners with Raheem Mostert dinged in, uh, in week six. Probably got to talk about uh, Frank Gore and Pirine there as well for the Jets. And then one guy who's going into a bye week, but may come into a little bit of additional value because of the Mark Ingram injury. Not sure. And that would be Gus Edwards, who's widely available. The player who excites me here has absolutely no floor, and that's Jermichael Hasty. <laughs> the fact that Mostert got hurt Sunday night and was immediately ruled out, usually there's some lag time before we we get a player examined and you know they, they said immediately uh Mostert's not coming back and even though he's one of my favorite players he's been injury prone the last you know few years of his uh when he's finally come into NFL relevance he's had trouble staying on the field and I, I thought Hasty was the back who showed the most juice in the second half of that win over the Rams they, they go to New England interesting homecoming for for Jim Garoppolo up against his former team but the thing is with Hasty is he could easily get three to five touches. There's no guarantee there. If, yeah. if you're trying to hit a single, J.D. McKissick has a role in Washington. They're, they've been really slow with the onboard with Gibson. They're basically going 50-50. And McKissick's caught checkdowns from every quarterback they have, especially the last two guys who have played now that, that it seems like Haskins has fallen from favor. I, I think McKissick, if you, if you just want like 60 to 70 you know, yards from scrimmage and like three to four catches, McKissick will give you that. I, I think Hasty is the player here who maybe could be an extra base hit. The thing about Boston Scott is the last time we saw Scott when Sanders wasn't available, he, he did. A, it was a big nothing burger, right? And we know Philadelphia's had cluster injuries on that offensive line. And, and Wentz has been kind of hit or miss. They're talking about maybe putting in some some different packages where they put a second quarterback on the field. I'm, I'm just afraid this Philadelphia offense may be a tough thing to get invested in right now, even with the Giants up. So um, McKissick, to me, is the safe play. Hasty to me, is the upside play. And I guess if I had to have a Jet, I guess I'd go with P. Ryan. You know, the thing with Gus Edwards is 
every time I watch Gus Edwards, I want to watch some more Gus Edwards. This guy yes, is like a yeah. walking five-yard run. I know he didn't have great efficiency in week six, but he's a bowling ball. Nobody likes tackling him. Baltimore usually with favorable game scripts. We talked about the good defense. It, it's a gift and curse with the quarterback Jackson because he's going to widen the rushing lanes, but he's going to take a lot of that production for himself. But if Dobbins or Ingram, and Ingram's already dinged up, were to be removed from the equation, Gus Edwards would become somebody I would proactively start on a lot of my teams. Yeah, I, I fully agree with that. I've got Edwards. And this is one of those things where like you, you can only you can only take so many gambles on who you're actually going to stash. I've got Gus Edwards on a fair number of benches. Uh, I believe my, I believe I have him on the Super League bench where I'm just waiting for anybody to emerge as viable. And, but you're but you're right. Baltimore needs that thing to get down to two backs instead of three, because three is just not producing consistent value for anyone for absolutely anyone with uh with respect to uh mckissick and gibson i've heard a lot of frustration on social media uh from people that i've interacted with about antonio gibson not taking on a greater share of the of the backfield work i mean i like i feel like people have to be fairly patient with him he he is a player who received 33 total carries in his collegiate career. Like he's figuring out being a running back at the highest level of, of professional football, right? So like maybe we can take it easy and and not not demand that he sees 90% of the snaps or whatever. I like I, I think he's been electric. I think he's been better than uh I had anticipated almost any running back coming into their league with their their first test, especially making that sort of quality of competition jump from Memphis to the NFL. But he's learning a lot of this on the fly. And so I'm, I don't think it's particularly surprising that he's splitting snaps with someone. I think it's mildly surprising that he ended up splitting snaps with uh, J.D. McKissick. But Washington's Washington's O-line has been has been bad enough, certainly, that they they need those checkdowns. They need that screen game to be effective and efficient because otherwise no quarterback is going to make it through the season. Kyle Allen has no hope of making it through the season uh, uh, without some quick hitter stuff to those guys. Yeah, as happy as I was when Alex Smith got on the field, I immediately was worried for his oh, you were well-being yeah. because you know Aaron Donald basically spent that afternoon in the Washington backfield. And you mentioned the offensive line. And Washington's been, I think, really smart. When you don't have a trustable offensive line, you have to hide it in the passing game, use the defense's aggression against itself. And at least in the case of Gibson and McKissick, I think they both have projectable roles, projectable volume week in, week out, which means you can play them. You know, Gibson probably a lower-end RB2 right now. I guess McKissick would be, you know, into the flex discussion. But at least you know week in, week out, they're probably getting anywhere from 9 to 14 touches. And that's a commodity in today's NFL for fantasy purposes. Yeah, McKissick has seen 22 targets and caught 19 of them over the last three weeks. So he's been a fairly bankable PPR flex, flex-ish sort of, sort of talent. Uh, the one thing I want to mention on Boston Scott and I, like, I get it. If you don't want to go back to Boston Scott, he face planted in, in week one when we thought he was in a great spot. I totally understand. He, the, the one huge game that he's had in his NFL career was week 17 last season. He did it against the Giants. It was three touchdowns. It was over 130 scrimmage yards. Like it was a heck of a day. I myself don't play in leagues that uh, get decided in week 17, so I didn't get to appreciate it. But the highlights from that game were fun. It's the same opponent this week on Thursday night. So there's at least a little bit of hope there. And I would expect him to, you know, maybe some of this is just the fact that it's Philadelphia as well. But I would expect him to be one of the more popular ads 
outside of the various chargers that we're going to talk about. So hopefully they can work on that two point conversion play that uh, that Winston Scott ran <laughs> that had like a zero percent chance of succeeding. Amazing. Absolutely amazing game planning. Let's talk about receiver where, again, I think we have to talk about a charger separate and apart from the rest of them. And that's Mike Williams. Mike Williams is still lurking out there in like 55, 56 percent of Yahoo leagues. And it but like I get it. Not your league. Uh, probably if you're in a 14 team or anything like that, certainly the, a lot of the leagues that Scott and I, uh, uh, share, he's not available. And yet I look at, uh, you know, I look at the player tab in all my leagues and it shows that he's available in about 55% of Yahoo leagues. So many of you can go out and grab Mike Williams. He needs to be rostered in my opinion. I mean, and it's not even related to whether Keenan Allen's back issue is, is still a thing going forward. He's a, you know, like look at the quarterback he's tied to. Like Justin Herbert is playing phenomenally well. Herbert is also a guy who's like, I know he's been locked in on Keenan Allen to a certain extent, but every time you look at a box score, he's connected with nine, 10 different receivers. We've seen Williams make highlight catches now, uh, two touchdowns against New Orleans. He was just brilliant in that game. So I assume you're not leaving Williams out there on the wire in any leagues in which he's available. No, I'm not. And one particular thing, about Herbert and Williams that I really like is Herbert's comfortable throwing Williams the ball when he's essentially covered and saying, look, here's some air under the ball. You can high point it. You can win in a, in a close conflict, whether it's on the sideline, whether it's in double coverage. And we saw that athletic ability of Williams in the Monday night game. So again, I think the charger offense, uh, I can't guarantee you they're going to win these games. I'm not the biggest Anthony Lynn fan, but um, it, this is an offense and specifically a passing game that I'm very comfortable investing in. It's a good point about uh, Herbert and Williams. And it reminds me of, you know, not not during the regular seasons when they were at Clemson, but uh, but when Williams would get in a game with like Alabama, when he'd get on the field with like elite defensive backs, Deshaun Watson had no issue throwing it to him when he was covered letting him use leverage like he's good when he's got a body on him um, and you can just, you know, kind of throw it out to an open hand, back shoulder, whatever. Like Watson had that ability, obviously, as a as a college player. And it's it's huge that Herbert has it, too, in that confidence. Yeah. Talk about your wide receiver factories. I mean, the the quality of skill talent that's come from Clemson, you know, uh, John Hopkins just being one of the guys. Martavis Bryant, I think, went there. Um you know, Williams, I remember that championship game that he basically won by saying, look, it doesn't matter how well you cover me. It doesn't matter, Nick Saban, how many five-star defensive backs you've recruited. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to beat all of them tonight and uh, and push my draft stock into the lottery area. Yeah, I'm, I'm a big Mike Williams fan. And I think there's some kind of some sneaky touchdown equity to his game, too. So I, he, he should be available. Make a healthy bid if you can. He's, although I like um, a lot of the other names here. And I'll mention one other guy. Well, I just think I don't I don't want think we should ever discuss this player again on this podcast because he just graduated. <laughs> is is Travis Fulgham. Okay. I, I know yeah. you you spelled it out well, right? I mean, he didn't play a lot in high school. He walked on at Old Dominion, ended up you know being a scholarship player there. He's done it three weeks in a row, a splashy touchdown on Sunday night, and then he goes to Pittsburgh and threw a huge game at them that was a little bit screened by the Claypool emergence. And then he goes up against Baltimore. You're getting nothing for free against those guys. And he, you know, he had another touchdown, six for 75, and uh, just missed Cat making a really acrobatic catch on a Hail Mary at halftime, too. And, and look, I know Jackson's going to come back at some point. Maybe they'll get Jeffrey back at some point. But they just lost Ertz. They just lost Sanders. And Carson Wentz is telling you, I be- not only do I believe in Fulgham, I kind of need Fulgham right now. I feel like his target floor is like he's going to get like eight to 12 targets Thursday night. 
And that in and of itself, and I know Bradbury's been playing pretty well and everything. The Giants aren't a, a giveaway in the secondary, but I think Fulgham might actually be a wide receiver too right now. Yeah, and he's so desperately needed that there's no coverage situation in, in my mind that's going to keep Wentz from going away from him. Um, and you you kind of nailed it. Like it, We've been anticipating all these receivers coming back for Philadelphia now for weeks, but hey, a new a new crop just got hurt. <laughs> like Zach Ertz, is, Zach Ertz, who has not had a terrific season, obviously, has been woefully inefficient, looks like he's been slowed all season now has an injury that's going to keep him out for perhaps a month and he was drawing like they weren't efficient targets but he was drawing like eight nine ten targets a game so that workload is vacated i gotta figure a bunch of that goes to fulgham it's a good call yeah i'm definitely in on fulgham and hey get it give it up to tim patrick i know drew lock didn't play well in a game where lock had what 10 completions patrick still went over 100 against a a Defensive scheme that we respect. I know the Patriots have had a ton of opt-outs, but I mean, New England did not lose that game on defense. And the fact that you saw Lindsey and, and Patrick actually have decent games. Philip Lindsay's not available in any league, but you know, Patrick had a good game on the day where his quarterback really couldn't do anything right. Next week they play Kansas City, which ostensibly is an easier matchup. Uh, their defense has been a little bit hit or miss this year. Uh, obviously, everything's gone wrong with the Broncos' skill talent. I mean, they lost Sutton. Uh, fans been unavailable some weeks. Uh, they couldn't have, they didn't have Gordon in week six. But uh, Patrick, I feel like, is the very safe bet to have a, a really nice target for the rest of the season. I, I Again, he he's a wide receiver three at minimum. I could even see yeah. him sneaking into that wide receiver two conversation. Yeah, he looks suspiciously like Denver's number one receiver right now, right? Like he's had um, these these three straight games he's had. He's had either 100 yards and a, or a touchdown or both. He's done that with Driscoll, Rippon, and now Drew Locke. Like he's, we're not talking about like some murderer's row of quarterbacks. He's still producing week in and week out. He finally gets his starter back. That's got to be helpful to him. They got a shootout coming up. We like that. Guy's six foot four. He's got a little bit of separation ability, and um, it he seems to be QB proof. So yeah. He's basically doing the Allen Robinson. He's saying, go ahead. I dare you. I dare. I don't care who the quarterback is. Watch me produce anyway. (laughs) Robinson's done his whole career. And Tim Patrick's saying, hey, I can do that, too. Bortles was lurking there for a while, but that's not going to happen. That would have been that would have been a delight to see. He's not not playing for them, you know, sort the rest of this receiver pool for me. I'm just going to throw out some names to you. Christian Kirk. uh, You mentioned Fulgham. Henry Ruggs. Cole Beasley, Adam Humphreys, Keelan Cole. These are some of the guys that I mentioned in the uh, in the pickups column. Is Cole just... Uh, is it just a case where we happen to, to recently see his one big game this season? He does have touchdowns uh, earlier in the year coming off the 100-plus performance on Sunday. How are you feeling about him? Well, I, I like that he plays in the slot, and I like that for his fantasy value that Jacksonville, their defense can't stop anything right now. So they've kind of turned into that carnival. I thought they would be, before the season, a bad team, but a lot of passing volume. But, but then again, I mean, one of the reasons they're a bad team is because they're not as efficient Man, do they throw away points every week? It feels like they, yeah. they have turnovers in the red yeah. zone. They miss kicks. How many kickers have they used now? I mean, they passed the spinal chop drummers. I don't even know what to compare <laughs> it to. They have a new kicker every week. But I like these getting the slot reps. Now, honestly, if I were in that team, I'd really want DJ Shark or, or uh, LaVisca Chenault in the slot. But you know, they, they have not asked for my help. And Cole did have a buck 23 in the week six loss. So I, I can see it for him because I, I think there's some volume there. The problem with Ruggs is I think even his breakout game was a three-target game. I just feel like you're going to have a lot of games where he he either catches a long pass or he doesn't, and those plays are generally less than 50-50 anyway. You you know, your completion percentage on a bomb might be, what, 20%, 15%. So he's more at a position that's boom-bust to begin with. I think he's more of a boom-bust. Now, Adam Humphreys is 
If you need a single, I think he's going to give you that. We don't know when Corey Davis will come back. There's been some tight end injuries. We know they don't throw to their running backs a lot. And Humphreys didn't look any worse for wear after being on the COVID list. So if you need like that five for 62, that that four for 51 with maybe a 30% chance at a touchdown, I think that's who Humphreys is. I'm going to lean on you for Christian Kirk because I, I liked him all at the beginning of last year and he burned me except for the one week where he scored three touchdowns. And that week I didn't play him in DFS. So I feel like he burned <laughs> me twice. I, I feel like when it was it was the wrong time to be in on Kirk, I was in on him. I feel like times when I'm you know, supposed to be in on him, I've been off on him. Seattle is a good matchup in, in week seven. I, I don't think I know the Christian Kirk matrix, so I'm going to point to you on that one. Yeah, no, that's mostly a... It's mostly a matchup play for me, right? It's it's Seattle coming up on the on the schedule, and they've given up an insane number of yards to wide receivers so far this season. It's not even they they may end the season not as just an absolutely terrible secondary statistically, but the yardage speaks for itself. They've they've been destroyed by receivers so far, and I feel like Arizona at some point needs needs a second guy to step up, right? Like maybe it can be New Hopkins all year uh, and a little bit of Chase Edmonds, but uh, Kirk as long as he's healthy. Uh, against Seattle seems like a seems like a bit of a layup matchup to me. I don't know that he's somebody that I'm going to want to park in a in a receiver slot all season and start him. I hear you on Rugs too. Like Rugs is Rugs could end up being one of those players who's just more valuable in real life because of the way he tilts the field for the Raiders. Super helpful to them. It's a dimension that uh, any offense can use, right? Uh, A huge vertical threat that no one can run with. That's great, but he's going to be a high-variance player if he's not seeing, you know, seven targets a game. And it sure seems like it's going to be three to six for most of the season. So he's probably going to have a couple of blow-up. He's going to be end up being one of those classic sort of I should have owned. I should have had him in best ball instead of in my season long, right? Because he's going to have two or three blow up week. Like I, I feel pretty confident that there's a there's a two or even a three touchdown game coming up for Henry Ruggs. I can't tell you when that's going to be, and it might be on you know it might be on five targets. If you're in full PPR, um, Hunter Renfro is available in 24 percent. Yeah, of Yahoo. He, he's a totally different player than Ruggs. I mean, you're hoping Renfro only had one catch in the last game, but you're hoping, you know, for the boring five catch, 62 yards. He's, he's kind of like one of those Humphreys guys. He's going to get the slot reps, but he, he probably doesn't have a lot of touchdown equity or, or big play equity. So there may be some situations where you're, you're just trying to get on base. You're, you're just trying to hit a single or draw a walk. And I would point to Renfro in those situations. One other thing I'll say with with. With Kirk, I mean, you talked about the Seattle matchup. I dare Arizona and Seattle to play a 10-7 game. I just don't think it's possible. I think it's one of those games where 30 might not be enough. I, I think the winner of that game is probably going to have 40 points. Uh, yeah, to put a to put a finer point on what uh, wide receivers have done to Seattle so far, they, and keep in mind they've already had their bye, so they've played one fewer game than uh, than most teams in the league. They have given up already 167 more receiving yards to wide receivers than any other team. Atlanta is second. And it's like it's like 235 more receiving yards than the the team that's third. And again, they've only played five games. Uh, so they've just absolutely hemorrhaged yardage, touchdowns to wide receivers. Easy to see somebody beyond Hopkins actually going off on the Arizona side. Yeah, Let's, Ju- Julian Edelman had his career best regular season game yardage-wise, I believe, against Seattle. And, you know, he's... Part of a Patriot offense I really want no part of right now, at least a passing game. So, yes, Seattle is just giving it away. And and you know that Russell will generally force a high-scoring game on the other end, which is part of what we do in fantasy is try to figure out where the high-scoring games are. And Seattle seems like a very safe bet right now. 
you you brought this up and it is a it is a problem that is confronting me in a couple leagues. Exactly how worried should I be about Julian Edelman and the uh, and the Patriots offense? Well, he's 34. He's never been a touchdown yeah. guy. One season with more than six. What they need to do is hypnotize Edelman and convince him that it's the playoffs when he seems to play his best football. <laughs> what did he throw two passes in, in the Patriots? That's how desperate the yep. Patriots were for offense yep. that they they dusted off that break glass in case of emergency, you know, Edelman option pass. I'll also um, say that Cam Newton looked like their best receiver. And Edelman probably looked like their most accurate downfield quarterback, <laughs> too. So I'm I'm concerned because I never thought Edelman had a ton of touchdown equity anyway. And his profile as a receiver didn't seem to match up with the type of receiver that Newton was successful with in Carolina. So Hmm. to be fair to Cam, I mean, he missed a game with COVID. I don't know how much they've been able to practice the last couple of weeks. So maybe rust was to be expected. And the Broncos have a fair defense. It's not the defense it used to be, but it wasn't an easy matchup either. But um, Julian Edelman is not, to me, he's just a receiver three. And I would be hoping if I had playoff or championship aspirations, that's a position I, if you had Edelman as a starter, I think you need to do better than that. Yeah, that's, I guess that's how I view him right now. And he's he's still probably a strong enough brand name that you can use him at least as a sweetener in trades. I don't think that Julian Edelman gets you what you need in a deal one for one. But uh, but at least as a sweetener, I think I, I think he might make some sense there. Well, let's transition to tight ends, because here's a spot where people are actually going to need help. Jonu Smith limped away from uh, from week six. Obviously, we've talked about Zach Ertz. And uh, even though Zach Ertz may have been a thorn in your side, fantasy-wise, not particularly productive, you were still starting him. Um, he was still a third-round, fourth-round pick in most leagues. So uh, people cling tight to players that they draft that high, and you were still rolling them out there. So that's a couple of big injuries coming out of uh, coming out of the week with. So a handful of names for you. I'll admit, I don't know when this first guy's coming back, but uh, I believe that Dallas Goddard is eligible to come off IR this week. I don't know if it actually happens. He was obviously enormously productive first week of the season, hyper-talented player. The Eagles need bodies. They need reliable pass catchers. So he's available in about 60% of Yahoo leagues. Trey Burton did it again, a couple of touchdowns, one on the ground, one uh, one as a receiver. Darren Fells had another day, another visit to the end zone. Logan Thomas uh, reappeared in the end zone. That was good to see. Anthony Ferkser who apparently would be the one-for-one replacement for Jonu Smith with absolutely no uh, letdown whatsoever. He was good, kind of out of nowhere. And then uh, and then Irv Smith as well with uh, with uh, Minnesota. Kind of a little bit of a little bit of a spark, but he's going into a bye. Yeah, the bye week kills a lot of the guys I would like to talk about. I think Trey Burton <laughs> is in a really safe spot. We, we know that they that Reich and, and Rivers, they like their tight ends. And Mo Ali Cox, who looks like a breakout player, wasn't healthy enough to dress in week six. So if Burton was playing anybody, I wouldn't even care if it was a tough matchup. I'd say go get this guy. But unfortunately, he's on by. I think Irv Smith is trying to have a breakout season. He had the, the really nice game against Seattle two weeks ago. He had a touchdown, just missed a, a touchdown against the uh, the Falcons on Sunday. Later caught a two-point conversion, and, you know, second round pedigree he's starting to get the upswing on snaps what, you, what i want you to do with smith and burton is that if they don't fit your pickup profile this week i want you to pick them up next week when nobody's paying attention or when your roster has enough definition that you have that spot to play with i, I think this you want to be early to the punch on those guys but darren fells i feel a little bit sad talking about fells because i really thought jordan akins was ready to have a breakout season for houston yeah. he's been hurt fells has taken over we know that 
Deshaun Watson likes to throw to his tight ends. We've seen some really nice things with this Texans offense since the coaching change. They've been using more play action. They've been using more uh, pre-snap motion. And they've really tightened up their usage tree. It's, it's their primary receivers, and it's been fells. And so yeah. as long as Aikens isn't on the field, or if Aikens ends up getting back on the field and fells were to get hurt, if there's one tight end here, I feel like we're looking at five to eight targets a week, maybe a 35%, 40% chance at a touchdown, and tied to a Deshaun Watson offense and a team that can't stop anything. So I, I like Houston tight end. I really thought it was going to be Aikens, <laughs> but I guess I have to flip the, the switch and, and make it fells. I like Ferkser if Johnny Smith is hurt. The only thing is the early indications I've heard on Smith is that it's not a serious injury. There's just a case where you you need – if Smith is healthy, there's no way you can play Ferkser. I mean, yeah, he, he may yeah. get two to four targets, but he's not playable. Uh, if Smith is out, of course, Ferkser becomes obvious. So you may have to make a decision on Ferkser before you know Smith's status. And I'm just afraid that Smith may play in week seven. Yeah, I, I was thinking as you were as you were speaking there that uh, that perhaps Burton and Irv Smith, you're in a deeper league, you need tight end help. Those are those are probably names where you can you know not spend waiver priority or not throw fab resources at them. Pick them up after waivers clear. Secondary uh, pickup, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, the secondary pickup, the the pickup that you should have used on Justin Jackson last week instead of getting in a bidding war this week, <laughs> like those. I, I always get myself up like, I don't know, it's pretty pathetic. I'm I'm probably too old to be doing this, but I'm generally awake by like 5 a.m. the morning that waivers clear for the secondary pickups. That's kind of my that's kind of my morning jam. I really like that day. I really enjoy that. So uh, I will be I will be definitely scrounging for some tight ends in a handful of leagues. Also, I should mention that Dallas Goddard is someone you can you can put on IR still. He's not officially off IR, so you can plug him into an IR spot. I want to be clear. I'd be excited about Dallas Goddard the moment he's healthy. I just don't know that that's imminent and that he'll be able to right. play on Thursday. But I mean, he he's much better than anybody on this list and a team screaming for a healthy tight end because Ertz is hurt and he's played very poorly when he's been healthy. You talked about the secondary pickups. To be a really good fantasy manager, you need to be able to make. I mean, it's, it's one thing just to shove all your money in because oh, you know, something shiny popped up and whatever, but. You need to be winning those secondary markets. You need to be monitoring who's dropped, okay? Especially now, okay? What happens during the bye week season is your opponents will, the other managers in your league will drop players they don't want to because they yeah. need to fill out a lot roster or they have a losing record. They're in danger of not making the playoffs and they need to amplify the significance of the game in front of them. So what happens is they'll try to drop a player and they're hoping to sneak that guy back when their roster clears up or when they know a little bit more. And so you want to be, now's the time early in the year, the players you get dropped just aren't good, but now you see with the <laughs> buys and and we know with COVID who's to say that might not be a game canceled or something. People are dropping players. They don't want to drop. And there's nothing more frustrating than seeing a player picked up. Who's of interest to you. And you say to yourself, ah, I didn't even know who's available. You really right, have to audit right. who's dropped in your league because you'll get some wonderful buying opportunities and you'll get in at the absolute zero. I mean, you'll get in at the lowest cost. All right. I've got some legitimately bad names for you at quarterback that I, <laughs> that I want you to sort through. And I, uh, I got a little adventurous in the pickups column this week and decided to write about Kyle Allen instead. I could have I could have taken some guys that are rostered in just under 50 percent of Yahoo leagues. And I could have, you know, I could have played it safe let everyone feel pretty good about, you know, their fantasy expert who was recommending a credible quarterback like maybe Garoppolo or Teddy Bridgewater. Instead, I went deep. I said, you know what, I'm going to I'm going to take a look at like three percent rostered Kyle Allen and, and I'm going to say, hey, he's facing Dallas. Um, Dallas is absolutely hemorrhage points this year as well. They just gave up 
34 to the Giants, right? Like they've been a miserable defense. They get Van Der Esch back. Maybe that helps a little bit. But Kyle Allen, while being, I think, objectively bad, right? <laughs> right? Like not a, not a great quarterback, ton of ton of giveaways last season, um, actually led the NFL in yards lost to sacks despite playing in only like 12 or 13 games. He's not great, but he can support some viable fantasy commodities. He's the guy who's throwing to Terry McLaurin right now. He's the guy who's throwing to McKissick and Gibson. Like, it's not a terrible situation. It's a great matchup upcoming against Dallas. I thought he could be a decent one-week plug-and-play quarterback. And then I guess I'll throw I guess I'll throw Daniel Jones into this mix as well since he, uh, he, he just ended an incredible streak of four straight weeks in which he had not thrown a touchdown pass. That finally mercifully comes to an end um, and he's back in the TD column. Yeah, I mean, these guys have have something to recommend. Allen, as you mentioned, has quality skill talent around him, about as good of a matchup as you can get. Even Logan Thomas had an athletic touchdown catch. Finally, I've I've been waiting in the fishbowl where the tight end premium scoring applies (laughs) for Logan Thomas to be a thing. I finally just stopped waiting. That was a good-looking throw and a good-looking catch, too. Yeah, really was. Um, Yeah. But, you know, you always have the chance of he could throw a, a seven-yard hitch to McLaurin and McLaurin might house it. You know, Gibson has that I could score anytime I touch the ball skill set. So, you know, the, the WFT against Dallas is certainly interesting. At least with Daniel Jones, we know he'll run the ball. He, he had a long, like a 44-yard run, yeah. I want to say, against Washington. So he has some equity in that part of the game. You know, maybe a 15 to 20% chance at a rushing touchdown. I hope Darius Slayton can go. He, he was dinged up in that week six game. That would significantly change how I felt about their passing game, although maybe Sterling Shepard is going to come back soon. Make sure if you have IR spots that you have Shepard stashed away. It's really frustrating to see they really haven't unlocked Evan Ingram. I don't think Jason Garrett really knows what he's doing with Ingram. But you know, Jones, again, for the, the rushing equity, I, I think he's reasonable. And I hope people don't bury Bridgewater too much. I, he's not going to be available in, in maybe the, the deeper leagues, but – he played poorly. The Bears defense had a lot to say with that. And I don't think anybody really in that Carolina offense is coated with glory. It was finally a, a back-to-earth game for Mike Davis. Bridgewater's still surrounded by Robbie Anderson and DJ Moore. And you know, Mike Davis has played great until last week. Yeah, There's still a lot of talent here. The Saints defense is not the name brand that we've seen the last few years. I, that could be very much a high-scoring game like the Chargers and Saints were a couple weeks ago. In the dome, I, I, I would be have no problem whether it's a start sit question or in a shallow league making a pickup. I'd have no problem going back to Bridgewater. Yeah, the Saints have given up 15 passing scores in five games. Uh, Justin Herbert had no real problems with him. Teddy obviously knows him. Uh, it's a fun matchup for Teddy Bridgewater, and he's still a guy who gets to throw to Robbie Anderson and DJ Moore. So good situation there. Don't think that Christian McCaffrey is coming back for that one, but that's been okay because Mike Davis, until the Bears met up with him, had been, I don't know, 85, 90% of what you might expect from Christian McCaffrey. So I like Teddy's matchup. As you say, he's not super widely available. He's about 45% rostered, maybe 46% rostered right now. What are your thoughts on Garoppolo facing uh, facing your Patriots? You know, I thought the Niners had the kind of game plan you need for Garoppolo when he not, might not be 100%, may not have his full confidence. They got a lead, a lot of throws where the ball is getting released super quick. You know, throw that, throw those balls behind the line of scrimmage to, to Samuel, get Kittle involved as quickly as you can. You know, I don't want Jimmy Garoppolo in the pocket. You know, we know mobility is not a big part of his game, especially on an ankle that may not be 100%. I'm, I'm just worried that Belichick knows his tendencies. The Patriots know that Garoppolo probably isn't 100%. 
And I'm afraid that the game plan is going to be hide Garoppolo from a San Francisco perspective. I think this might yeah. be a case for the first team that scores 20 points wins this game. So I don't, I, Garoppolo, I think we're looking at like one of those like 185 yards and a touchdown. And that to me is not over the hurdle of what's acceptable for fantasy. I was not actually facing Garoppolo anywhere that I'm aware of, at least uh, in, uh, in week six, but it would have driven me crazy like a, a lot of these completions that that go for you know either substantial gains or touchdowns that are really just handoffs right like technically he is flipping the ball forward it is essentially a handoff to Debo Samuel that would just drive me crazy to see that recorded as a as a passing score hate it absolutely hate it let's talk you about think Debo's, uh, you think Debo's back to 100 percent so it was exciting to see him kind of flash some of his Debo-ness in week six well they were using him as I would have expected them to use a hundred uh, percent fully operational Debo Samuel so so yeah I think he's about as close to it as he's going to get for the balance of the season and I mentioned Debo Samuel because uh, we're going to transition to the the new segment where we cut a player yeah and the New England Patriots had an early pick in the 2019 draft and they had a need for a receiver <laughs> And sure, you know, Debo Samuel was out there and, and A.J. Brown was out there. And uh, this D.K. Metcalf, the last I checked, seemed to be a pretty good football player. McLaurin on the Patriots, that'd be fun. No, no, they went with Nikhil Harry. And right now, it looks like Nikhil Harry and Cam Newton have have never met. They don't know each other. They're not in a first-name basis. And right now, the Patriots, the only player who has any touchdown equity on this team is Newton on the ground. It's not a passing offense I want any part of. I've danced with Demir Bird here and there in deeper leagues. I talked <laughs> earlier about how I don't trust Edelman in age 34. I don't think he matches up well with Cam. And, you know, Nikhil, Nikhil Harry is still rostered in about a quarter of Yahoo leagues. I don't think it's happening, man. I, I don't think – I think we're all waiting for him to to have that bust out 125-yard two-touchdown game. I'm telling you, I don't think it happens in 2020. We mentioned a whole bunch of receivers who are widely available. I, I would rather pick up somebody with a passing game I feel good about because I don't feel good about this New England passing game. Um, Scott, you don't think it's too early to call uh, DK Metcalf over Nikhil Harry? It's not too not too early. <laughs> I know. I'm, ju- I'm jumping the gun there. Uh, <laughs> Metcalf, Metcalf. You know, I was agnostic to if I got Metcalf or Lockett, and I have a fair amount of both yeah. of them, but... Every time I took Lockett now, I just wish that was Metcalf. And it's not, I'm not sliding Lockett there. I just think Metcalf has a chance to be generationally great. Like, like maybe in the Hall of Fame discussion someday, great. Yeah. He's, he's going to end up being just the, the perfect example of the, the sort of player who is, is severely limited in college by what they ask him to do. Right. Um, they really only ever asked him to go deep as a collegiate player. It doesn't mean that you can't do the other things. This comes up at running back all the time where we're like, well, I don't think this guy can catch passes. He never did it in college. Turns out most people who aren't Sean Green can catch passes. Right. <laughs> like there's just yeah, like, I, I, just because you don't show a trait doesn't mean you don't possess it. I regret all the old Miss games I didn't watch that had Metcalf and A.J. Brown and, and even <laughs> Dawson Knox, who, who has always been interesting to me. But he's, he's had some injury problems this year. Um, you know, unfortunately that, that was kind of like that LSU team they had when Beckham was there where they didn't have the great quarterback, but they had unbelievable skill talent. You know, Landry was there and Beckham was there and, and we're seeing Beckham kind of get sunk by his quarterback again this year. But, um, yeah, that team, I'll just, I'll just say like, I watched the Iowa Hawkeyes play that LSU team in the Outback Bowl 
And my, my wife and I were both there and like, you just couldn't believe the talent that was on the field for LSU. Cause it was, it was Jeremy Hill. It was Alfred blue. It was, uh, Mettenberger was hurt at the time, but it was, it was Beckham, Jarvis Landry, Tredavious White was on that team. <laughs> like they just, everybody on the defense ended up at least in an NFL training camp. A lot of them ended up, you know, reliable NFL players and they made it all the way to like the Outback Bowl. <laughs> I'm not saying anything people don't know, but the, the SEC talent is absurd. It, it's just ridiculous how, how much, uh, you know, we talked about how Alabama, when Nick Saban first got there, it used to be, okay, we'll run the ball, we'll win with defense. They, they've thrown that script way out, you know, and they've been a skill talent factory for like seven or eight years to the point that they have so much great quality of, of play there that you know, guys, some guys can't get on the field. They have to transfer because, you know, if, yeah. if you don't get a starting spot, you may never play. All right, if I'm gonna if I'm gonna lob out just one name that I can give you the green light to go ahead and cut this week, it's it's gotta be it's gotta be Carson Wentz. And I don't have the luxury of being able to cut him anywhere that I have him because they are super flex leagues and anybody who's gonna see snaps at quarterback needs to be owned in a deep super flex. But I've I swear to you, I've had enough. It's more it's more turn it's it's not even entirely his fault. Obviously, we've talked a lot on this pod uh and in other places about the devastation in that receiving core. It was bad at the end of last year and he survived it. He has not survived it so far this year. Um, Zach Ertz being a, a crazy underperformer and now being injured has been a thing because that was always a security blanket for him. Um, nine interceptions, I want to say so far it's been ugly. And, uh, you know, there was a little bit of rushing upside early in the season. I, I wouldn't count on that week in and week out with Carson Wentz. They don't, he's not, you know, he's got some rushing ability, but it's not like he's Josh Allen. It's not like he's Cam Newton. It's not like he's Lamar. He's not the goal line back for his team or anything like that. He's just a guy who's a pretty good athlete that will occasionally tuck the ball and run with it, but he's not at that level. So we can't bank on it. I am just about done with Carson Wentz. I'm also worried at the punishment he's taking. He's somebody who will hold oh, the ball point, as long yeah. as he can for play to develop. He'll scramble. I feel like he pays the price on all of his runs. You know, for all the quarterbacks who can jitterbug out of bounds or can slide, I feel I feel like Wentz is more likely to to take on somebody, you know, take on a linebacker and try to dive for a, a first down or something. And it seems like every Philadelphia drive is life or death anyway. I'm worried it's not going to end well for Wentz. I, I hate saying that because he's been one of my favorite players and he probably had an MVP in his back pocket if he doesn't get hurt back in 2017. So I, yeah, I'm with you, man. It's, it's not, it's not you, Carson. It's, it's the players around you. It's the fact that everybody on your offensive line feels like they're hurt. The, the receivers you're supposed to be trotting out there aren't healthy right now. Your number one tight end is having a cliff season. Even your, your featured running back isn't on the field right now. So I don't see how this is a winnable hand for Wentz. Yeah, uh, to your point, he currently leads the NFL in time sacked and yards lost to sacks. Uh, he's already been sacked 25 times through six games. That puts him on pace to finish well. At, like He's going to double up his career previous high in, uh, in, in sacks. And there's realistically... Uh, it's going to be a difficult thing to endure for 16 games. Who knew that the, the Cowboys all this time were sitting on the two best quarterbacks in the division and Dak Prescott and Andy Dalton? It's, unfair. It's a, fair, it's a fair point. It's a fair point. Well, that is going to do it for another episode of the Pickups Podcast. I hope we helped you out just a little bit. And if you're interested in podcasts, you know, we have a lot of them at Yahoo Sports. Check out the Yahoo Sports NFL podcast with Charles Robinson and Therese Paler and the Yahoo Sports College pod with Dan Wetzel, Pete Thamel, good friend pat 40 from si you can follow us on twitter at yahoo fantasy i'm merely at andy barons he is at scott underscore pianowski one more thanks huge thanks to our sponsor planters huge thanks to sully our producer 
tomorrow. It's going to be Matt Harmon and Dalton Del Don taking over on the pod. But until then, we are out. Bear down. <laughs>